Welcome to NFT Sundays, a weekly conversation around art and technology, brought to you by Dementi and the Museum of Crypto Art. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next installment of NFT Sundays. We are blessed today to have Kenny Schachter, artist, writer, teacher, curator, and we have Beth Fiore, the artist liaison at Dementi. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us, Colborn. Absolute pleasure. Um, let's start, you know, as we always do, a little bit of background about each of you. Kenny, if you would please start, and what has brought you to the NFT world? So, I have been in the art world for three decades and a half, practically. And I am self-taught, and I teach, curate, and make art. And thanks to the advent of NFTs, I've been able to make a living from my art in the past year and a half. I have a show that I curated in New York right now on Morton Street down in the West Village, uh, 16 Morton Street with 38 artists from 15 countries. Just did something with Nifty Gateway, teaching an NFTism class at NYU. And I'll do a pro- one person project at the Independent Art Fair in New York City. Uh, free passes to all of my Discorders. And uh, and then doing something for Basel, and that's it. And that's it, right? You are just like unstoppable, boundless, everything all the time. We absolutely love the energy that you bring because it's necessary, and I think the space is very much for you. Beth, will you just tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm an artist liaison at the Minty, currently holding, that's one of my titles. Um, I have a background in the traditional art world, worked my way up through the gallery system, became an independent art advisor, but also take on all types of production roles because I seem to be the person that can solve problems and enjoys it. So whenever my phone rings, it's always a problem um, (laughs) that like somebody's calling me with and that's just kind of been the way I've navigated the art world. Um, So yeah, I've been helping out with some of the interviews for the crypto church, as I call it. Uh, Colborn's new project and NFT Sundays. It's been fun. You're absolutely the best, super modest, like everything <laughs> you've done and like everything we've done together has been like top, top exceptional. Uh, so Thanks. super grateful for you. Yeah. Um, let's start with, with you, Kenny. You came into my life like a wrecking ball, as I'm sure uh, many people can attest to. Uh, and it was, I think, an immediate connection because you had just this like wild free spirit that was so natural to the space. You were very generous uh, with your time and your contribution and going in and getting to know people. Um, Do you want to perhaps just start with the basis of your interest in the space? I'm old and I've been making digital art for 30 plus years. And, you know, digital art was like the very poor, unwanted relative of painting the uncle that always kind of got sloppy on Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, the art world is a very resistant, unforgiving, unwelcoming space. And because I never took an art class until I was teaching one for the poor students that had to suffer through that back in 92 at the new school. And I've been teaching ever since. And part of what I like is the generosity of spirit in the digital sphere, sphere. Um, sometimes I get speared from being so outspoken, but, um, yeah, so I found like, 
you know, the art world never really, there was, I created a role for myself. And I think that whenever I go, I've been teaching, like I said, for ages. And whenever I go to what, when I would used to do a studio critique, I would tell artists, find a gallery with a similar sensibility, ingratiate yourself with the staff, with the artists that show at that gallery, and then bust the move to try to get represented. And now when I was doing critiques in Chicago recently, it, I realized like there was a giant transformation. It would never occur to me in a million years to even seek out a gallery or you know attempt to get a foothold into the traditional art market system. Because I think like I've been in a million different careers over the course of my career um, in my life and nothing prepared me for how backward looking and conservative the fine art world is. And of course, like, look, you could you could spend 10 hours, which many have critiquing crypto and, you know, but 90% of the criticisms that people uh, would specify about crypto and NFTs, the same applies to fine art, traditional fine art world. So I always say this, like, I, there's nothing wrong with crypto. There's, it's no more, you know, criminally minded than anything else. It's people that are fucked up and it's the bad intent of people. And, you know, I've been fighting trolls all morning because somebody made some stupid criticism about NFTs, someone who does NFTs. And I overreact often because I'm just very, I wear my emotions and everything else about me on my sleeve. And I have a tendency to react. And, uh, you know, it's ridiculous that people should just do whatever they want. And if you make a comment or a critique, people should just be, I mean, look, I'm sensitive surprisingly enough and it's hard to accept criticism but i think that it's important so people should just do what they want as long as you're not hurting anyone or breaking any laws and you know crypto has a long way to go to get to be a more mature better space but it's it's certainly positively affected every day of my life since those three magical letters were uttered to me hmm. spoken like a uh, true crypto libertarian I, I see we might be wearing off a bit on you um, Beth, how about you? Where, <laughs> how about you, Beth? What, what was uh, your immediate interest in the in the NFT space? What promise did you see? Um, I think I, I, I share a lot of like Kenny's sentiments. I mean, the art world is ironically very conservative and um, doesn't progress the way that you think it would. It's always been very obvious to me, and um, just like a college kid coming into the art world in New York City. Uh, right around the time of the recession, I was really surprised with how like how backwards the art world was. How it didn't it didn't use technology at all. I felt like I had to be de-skilled to work in the art world. <laughs> like the first gallery I worked at didn't have a website and didn't want a website, and I was like, "How is this possible?" So I've always wondered and been tracking kind of like when do like digital art and you know traditional quote-unquote traditional art like when will there be a conflation and it was always so weird there were so many moments like i thought like there was like that moment with tumblr in like 2014 there's been the rhizome like rhizome has always done things but it never congealed and then suddenly nfts made people pay attention i guess because of the price points that they hit and and that was great and i didn't have i mean there was some ideological baggage I had to let go of to be able to understand the way that these particular thought leaders were, were um, you know, going out there and taking risks. 
but it, it, it seems as though um, I was just reading the UBS report from Art Basel. I feel like the art world is is coming around, and and so that's kind of how I I got involved. I had some artist friends who were making NFTs and traditional artists like Emma Stern, who you know, um, and so I was aware that those things were happening and supportive of those. Yeah, case in points, right? MoMA just posted for a Web3 associate. Um, so we <laughs> seem to kind of be trickling into galleries, into uh, traditional museums. Um, but it is, I think, funny for you to point out that it was perhaps more the market that led this movement than the actual art of the movement. And we've kind of been reconciling with what it means to bring the market forward and transparent and have these numbers out there. Um, yeah. And I think there is like a false sense of transparency, uh, but maybe we can talk about that. Like, what does it mean first and foremost for it to be a market movement as opposed to being recognized as an art movement? Well, I would say that in the most reductive sense, the entire art world is a market. I call it economicsism, which I mm -hmm. characterized the art world that way decades ago. Um, well, first of all, art and money, I always say they fuck, but they don't sleep in the same bed. Since the Renaissance, since Leonardo da Vinci, artists have always been obsessed with, you know, status and, and money. Albert Durer, famous Renaissance painter, printmaker, said, why should I make a painting when I can make so much more money making a print? The fact is, and I also think about a documentary called The Price of Everything, where the auctioneer Simone de Piri said, it's good that art is expensive because that way people preserve it and value it. Mm -hmm. And the point is it's art that's inexpensive that needs to be nurtured and preserved. It's not the expensive stuff. The expensive stuff, half of it is crap. Uh, there's, no, there's no such thing as connoisseurship anymore. And if you look at any art auction today at Sotheby's Christie's Phillips, you'll see you know, a load of art that dates from 2021. So, you know, there's been an ever shrinking uh, attention span for collecting and, and not, get, art is a slow burning process of accruing knowledge and experience. And yes, crypto is way beyond with a, with a holding period on average of 60 days. It said in that art report that the average art collector holds work for 20, 25 years. That's absurd. Yeah, I thought that that was weird. Anyone, any collector who's never sold an artwork belongs in a vitrine in the Natural History Museum. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, it's kind of sad that the fact, you know, at the same, the best thing that people ever did um, was the fact that his work sold so expensively because, you know, it's, it's sad, but at least it woke everyone up to the notion that digital art is something to be uh, cared for, cherished, collected, bought and sold even. So I always, I, all I care about is art. I don't care about computers, digital art, painting, sculpt, blah, blah, blah. It's all in the mix for me. I, I'm very um, non-hierarchical in my, you know, acceptance, whether it's, I have in my office posters, prints, paintings, sculptures, and I derive the same satisfaction from looking at any of it. I thought one of the funniest things that you said was like the rebuttal to uh, people having so much trouble with NFTs being non-aesthetic and them not looking like something in a 
painting gallery and you were like Duchamp like made this like a thing in the 1920s like art is not necessarily aesthetic and I was like that's such a good response like you have such deep thoughts but you also come across as totally approachable but I guess you get trolled a lot for that too I'm in the middle of fighting off a plethora of trolls from something I said. I got into an argument with some idiot yesterday about, again, just showing this meme that's been around forever, showing like the progression of the garbage can icon emoji ending with like NFTs. And it's like, you know, like you know, people, like you said, people critique the aesthetic of NFTs and they say it's like a video game or, you know, there's a hell of a lot of cartoon characters that garner a hell of a lot of market share and collectibles are the dominant sector in the NFT space, 70% non-fungible.com said. And it's easier to sell one of 10,000 hummingbirds or you know, fill in the blank crickets than it is a one of one. But that's that's the that's the way, you know, art was never intended to sell to be mass appealing. It's for people that know and care and that's fine. And I think that there is no aesthetic to NFTs. There's wonderful, crazy, beautiful, eccentric, conceptual, everything. It's all there if you look. Nobody wants to look. And people just skim off the top and use that to make sweeping generalizations to pigeonhole something into their stupid pre-existing ideas about things. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's incredibly well said. There is a major conflation between the term NFT and and art, right? NFT is just a digital wrapper for anything, right? Collectibles, land, games, any sort of digital asset that anybody could conceive of. But it was conflated because of what happened with Beeple and his art reaching the mainstream, um, and then everybody was left and you know looked to wonder at a market like OpenSea and asking themselves where the art is. I think, you know, broadly, it speaks to a, uh, you know, a changing taste and preferences of a younger generation than the traditional art collector. We have a handful of native crypto art patrons. um, And that's really where this this market was born in just like supporting artists, allowing them to freely go out and to create. Um, So I... You know, I find the reaction very harsh and unwarranted and totally agree that people are just really skimming the surface and not really taking the time to dive deep. All to say, yeah, all to say, I think it is a, uh, you know, that people have felt some sort of uh, existential threat to the traditional art world. And I'm wondering if just in your conversations, you feel power landscapes shifting if you feel that people are rejecting it because they don't want to understand it because it threatens something that is like near and dear to them well this brings up two points which i'll try to remember one is that the all world is a zero-sum game that one person advances at the expense of someone else so the galleries recoiled at first and uh rejected the whole nft phenomenon outright And that's because they were scared of giving up control, territory. And galleries have the power of access. And for the first time, like it used to be, you'd have to spend a photographic, you'd have to send a photographic representation to convey an image from one person to the other. Then came the advent of social media, which blurred the geographical boundaries of how to communicate visually, but there was no way 
you still had to resort to the old fashioned means of getting representation to sell your work other than the odd sales that came through Instagram. And overnight, the NFT uh, system came along and then artists for the first time had the capacity to go direct to market. And you keep talking, you mentioned both of you conflation and uh, I think of like Discord and a comment David Bowie said about the internet back in the 90s that the, the internet conflated the space between the artist and, and the buyer or the audience mainly, forget the buyer. So I think in that regard, like it's been very difficult. Well, first of all, learning something new I'm, at any age is difficult. And it's a defense mechanism to reject something before you give it the time to try to understand and appreciate it. And admittingly, I mean, you know, if you had me draw out a schematic of the blockchain and explain the protocols, I'm sure I'd fall flat in my face. I've always from day one appreciated technology as a cultural phenomenon. Contemporary art should reflect our time and, and socially, politically, historically, economically. And technology is very is is probably the most predominant of all of those sectors in in, in intellectual life, <clears throat> where could, technology has come to like reshape the chemical structure of our brains hmm. due to some nefarious engineering over at some stupid giant company that should be divested of all of the different subsidiaries. But that's another story. So um, yeah, I think. I somehow hit a couple of points you were after in that. Anything to add, Beth? Um, I mean, Kenny said so much there. I was just thinking about, you know, the how quickly do you think that artists in the traditional art world will really feel like they can represent themselves in a crypto space? Like you see Hearst, you see Coons. Hearst obviously did his own auction at one point. Um and I guess you could say like Tom Sachs or some of the other traditional art world artists, artists like that could be the type of artist that could be completely independent of a gallery. And do you think that that would be progress for the art world if artists could just begin to manage and represent themselves? Well, I mean, it's funny because the only time I didn't want or need a gallery, I got one. <laughs> or somebody said that Nagel Draxler would never catch on to uh, Annika Meyer in the clubhouse said that uh, Christian Nagel was too white and old to ever bother to grapple with technology. And then I got a call from the gallery asking me to advise them on how to structure a show to disprove Annika. And I said, I wouldn't tell them how to do it, but I would do it. And I curated the show and they dropped in at the last second before the opening and said, if it wasn't for Annie Kamire, you wouldn't be here at this dinner. And I thought, mm -hmm. well, that's fine. I'll accept that. <laughs> I'll get in by any means necessary. And since then, the show, they were so thrilled with the show. They, they've incorporated NFTs into two Basels, Art Cologne, and opened the Crypto Gallery. And I was the first show, which is up to the middle of April. I forgot to add that in Berlin. So... Mm -hmm. You know, the fact is, like, and people say, why do you need a gallery? Why do you want a gallery? You're in the NFTs. The thing is, artists need an audience. An audience completes the equation of art. You can have the most beautiful Van Gogh painting sitting in a forest, and it has no meaning, no impact. You need mm -hmm. an audience. So, you know, why not 
display works physically on computers, on phones, it all, again, it's not a zero sum situation. It just adds to the experience of people being able to lay their eyes on the art, which is the most, as an artist, you want to, as a writer, you want to be read and an artist, you want to be seen. So yeah. I don't think they're, you know, they're, they, one disallows the other, or they're all just a continuum of ways to express yourself, which is what art is, is a way for a human being to communicate and express themselves largely through visual means. I agree with you, but I think if you have a gallery, you have a lot of restrictions. You only get to show when they want to give you, uh, for the most part, when they want to give you a show, which might be maybe once a year. Um, and you know, if you, a lot of ideas will be discouraged and a lot of projects won't be supported. Um, so I do think that like what you did is interesting because you said, I want to show you how I want to be represented and they went along with it. And in a sense, like, then they're just, like, you're taking a risk. They're allowing you to take a risk. But, like, they were just helping with the distribution of the work. And oh. it makes me think of the fact that I made this piece with the word dealer scrawled on my face because <laughs> the mainstream art world always wrote me off for just saying you can't be an artist because you've been a dealer before. You, you, you're a writer or a teacher. So they're always looking for ways. I always just say the only word the art world knows is "no." No, you can't do this, say this, behave like this. Yeah. But um, and also like two funny things. Number one, when I sell an NFT from my one-person show, I get paid in my wallet because I minted the NFTs on Manifold, and then I have to in turn pay the gallery. So that's totally reversed. <laughs> that's turning upside down the traditional subjugated relationship of artist gallery. And number two, I mean, I heard of a friend who uh, had the, was invited to do a one person exhibition in an art fair context and their gallery, they were represented by two galleries and one gallery told them don't do it because they wanted to put them in a group show in another art fair. Right. So I think what you said is so precise, it's so on point because there were so many times that in a gallery, their interests are at odds with the art, the very artists they represent. I hope that maybe this gives artists the ability to kind of not be subjugated as much and kind of equal the playing field. And you're doing a wonderful job of setting an example of that. I don't think it gets highlighted enough when you come up in discussion for what you've done in the NFT space. I think it's all about giving people freedom of choice. Right. And it's about removing boxes and labels and letting people be fluid in their mm -hmm. identity and expressive in the things that they want to do and be and explore within themselves. Uh, and very specifically tied to that, the art that they want to create. Um, you know, it doesn't need to have a market application. It doesn't need to fit or to sell. Uh, and I think at least from the crypto side we have been very liberal in supporting and encouraging artists to just explore all facets of their creativity. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why I love to teach so much because I love to facilitate opportunities for people through my curatorial practice. I very much, I mean, I consider everything I do to be one and the same, whether it's teaching, curating, writing, or even having soul pieces in the past. For me, it's all a, a continuous thread that very much relates to the work that I make as an artist. And uh, it's all part and parcel of the same activity. 
And I just love to like mentor people, thesis advise people. And, you know, you spend your whole life learning, getting information and, and knowledge. And then it's really nice to, to give it back and to reshare that, that information and help other people. And I think I get as much satisfaction from seeing, you know, other people do well as much as I do myself when they're nice. <laughs> I'd like to, if you would allow me to just rewind it a little bit, because I think one of the like major uh, hurdles, barriers to entry is this idea that crypto is difficult or complex to learn. And I believe, I don't know, that probably this experience with NFTs and crypto art was perhaps both of yours first experience using crypto. I had no interest. I'm not a trader. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a finance. No, I mean, I'm an art but, person. But tell, yeah, but tell you. No, I agree. That's, and that's no, even better because this. because you're an no. art person who who took the time to learn the tools. And I, I just right. would love for you to tell oh. people about what that experience was like, because I think a lot of people think they can't do it. What happened was back two years ago, a little less than two years ago, um, well, first, I, I, when I found out about NFTs, somebody said they would give me an introduction to Nifty Gateway when Tommy Kimmelman, who's the chief financial officer, was also moonlighting as the curator of Nifty Gateway because the company was so small. So I, I was a, and that's a dollar denominated uh, site. That's not even really a crypto company whatsoever. Uh, so, and after that, shortly after that, a friend who shared some interest with me, Mike Jacobellis, who's one of the initial investors in Flamingo Dow, and he's a really avid uh, NFT collector, art collector, and he has a he's in a hedge fund and he has a classic car business. Pretty interesting guy, and he just sent me an Ethereum because he felt that I would really flourish in the space. And he didn't ask for anything in return. And it was like $1,600 at the time. And that kind of generosity of spirit is what immediately just sucked me into this space, into this rabbit hole. And since then, I've met so many like-minded people. Uh, there's a guy called Devin Mitchum, who's an executive at Google based in Singapore. And I would have these tutoring sessions for hours on end, taking notes. And I even, conscripted some of these people into like making art and being in my exhibitions. And this kind of activity, this spirit was what I coined this word NFTism because NFTs are nothing. They're just nothing, less than nothing. Yeah. It's just a digital certificate of authenticity. But the fact that we're all sitting here talking and sharing these experiences, we had that kind. So I got a, I, he gave me an Ethereum and I opened the MetaMask wallet and you know, his mom gave me some, coached me through, shepherded me through the process. And since then, I've been studying. The reason I gave my first lecture, like over a year ago at School of Visual Arts, was because I love to learn. And I love to learn when there's a gun against my head. So this semester, I'm teaching NFTism, and I, I have a big lecture on Tuesday, and I don't even know what I'm going to talk about. So I'll reach out to uh, the head of nonfungible.com and Kevin Abash, the great crypto artist who was involved in crypto art back in 2013, well before NFTs, and Annika and uh, Georg Bach, who's a great uh, scholar of the history of generative art, which dates 
from the 50s and 60s. Art blocks is not a new phenomenon. It's been around for decades, uh, half a century, more. And uh, I love to learn. Art is about expression and also the absorption of information and both both visual and um, all ideas. You know, I can barely get my telephone to work. It's amazing <laughs> that I even got onto this platform that we're having this discussion in. But like I said, I got a desktop computer before there were laptops in the 80s and just wanted to interface with the computer. And as a result, I just, I fell in love with this tool. It's a tool. It's nothing to do with the art unless you have the intent to use it to make your art and express yourself. So for me, like getting into it, uh, it was really painful. Uh, it was something that I procrastinated about and made them, I think I like psyched myself up more than I should have thinking it was tremendously complicated. So when I do feel like something is like uh, very complex, I tend to just try to educate myself and read a lot. I'm not like Kenny. Kenny, I guess you, it's smart. And I think this is one of my criticisms. Like I don't ask people enough where I'll try to figure it out uh, through like podcasts. I was like listening to, I think it doesn't, I don't think they make episodes anymore. It was called like NFT now. Mm, but I'm not sure. I was listening to podcasts, figuring out like what some of those like successful projects had been, you know, who founded them, what their goals were. And then I would go on a Kindle and I would, there's like nothing really great to read on there. It's very generic information. But I would read that. I would read blogs like Medium, Non-Fungible, all that stuff. And just sort of finally sat down and sold MetaMask, got a wallet, bought some stuff, bought some crypto. Got my husband a little bit involved. Now he looks at the crypto every day. He kind of tells me more what's going on. And then um, after that, it was like, oh, I could have just installed MetaMask, bought some crypto. <laughs> it wouldn't have been this like crazy thing that I I made a mountain out of nothing. But I learned a lot, obviously. Um, and it's it's been great. And now, um, like where I'm at right now in my building, there's like a WeWork. So as I'll be on the phone doing stuff for Dementi or just stuff in the art world in general, um, some of the people that work in this space will be like, I'm in crypto, I'm making a blockchain, I'm making a layer two solution, blah, blah, blah. And then they actually have educated me a lot on what they're doing. There's a really high up, high up guy at Microsoft, AI, whatever. He always is telling me things. And so, but that outside of like, Dementi and you, Colburn, I don't know as many people as Kenny does. And I don't know the CEO of, uh, you know, Super Rare or something. <laughs> but that would be amazing, you know. But yeah. In New York City, I'm going to just call it, is like the epicenter of Web3, right? There are so yeah. many knowledgeable crypto people. A lot of crypto finance companies came up. A lot of artists are jumping on Brooklyn, Manhattan, wherever it is. Yeah. Um, so I would just encourage people like, don't be afraid to ask friends. I think it does relate to this point that Kennedy says about NFTism. There is something different and special happening within the network and the fabric of the people that are involved. Uh, it doesn't feel particularly gate kept. Like we just give it away, give this information away for free because we want people to hack it. We want people to add value. Uh, and from the very beginning, it was always about like the exponential effect 
of community learning as opposed to saying like this is mine this is my ip it's not for you uh so you know it's really an open invitation for everybody out there to just get involved yeah i think it's more that like in the art world when you want to you do like deep digs of research into something very esoteric or uh, so i think i just had a bad habit it's like no this is like really happening now this is like the present moment not the past and i'm so used to like researching things differently or investigating things more like uh like academically or something, which there just really wasn't anything like that. It was all new and happening in real time. Can I dig yeah. into that a bit? Because I think the beauty of this movement is that digital artists are very much able to respond to like the speed of culture in the moment and produce things that are very much like of the moment. I kind of think of Kenny's piece, Scam Likely, uh, for like the million, million scam calls that I get, robocalls every day. Uh, but that is like an immediate responsive piece that was I believe just a screenshot, right? But it's powerful and evocative. And for me, that is like very much an art piece. Um, so, you know, I see a lot of artists just creating, 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 creating. There seems to be so much more of a forward trajectory and not kind of a historical looking at or perhaps like not so much depth of intent. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if you feel that that is a good thing or a bad thing just given both of your backgrounds well i would say a lot of that is because a lot of a lot of creators in the crypto space they don't know about art history they don't know the history but i'm not making a judgment about that people should only know what they want to know and what they care to know about so i'm sure people that don't know about various artists that have influenced me over the years paul tech Vito Kanchi. Mary Heilman, Rachel Harrison, people, that's, it's anyone's prerogative to, to do what they want. And I think what has helped me with acceptance in the crypto space is that I would never be presumptuous enough to like, you know, the all world is always keeping people away or making, you know, drawing these barriers always. So I would never be so stupid to say crypto artists or crypto, you know, speculators, collectors, platforms, curators in the crypto space, who am, I would never be so stupid to say like, oh, you don't know this, that how could you even consider yourself to be a crypto artist if you don't know basic fundamental, I mean, I never took an art history class, I'll always have the mindset and mentality of an outsider. And mm -hmm. I think that that's helped me accept the fact that I mean, I started as a baby two years ago, not knowing shit about Bitcoin and the whole decentralized computer network system. And I didn't resist it, I accepted it. And I began to learn about it with great dedication and eagerness and applied myself with a lot of you know doggedness. And that's what you have to do for anything. So yeah, I think that, you know, there's, I started like a PFP project that was meant to be a kind of parody of the Board Ape Yacht Club and its crypto mutts, and it was meant to be an arts club. And again, like it's just me doing what I do. And if you're interested, you can come to my house. You can ask me any questions. You're invited to anything I'm invited to. It's basically just a way to like share my career trajectory with anyone who's interested. And I'm interested in what you have to say. And I love the kind of participatory 
community in Discord, the, the two-way art is usually just looking at a static image on the wall in a very, you know, haughty context of an art gallery, which is typically clinical, sterile environment. Don't touch, don't talk. You can't even ask the fucking price of a painting in a the gallery. They make seven phone calls. Oh, no, we have a case. Oh, they want the price. Go to Hauser & Worth. I was teaching a class, and we just popped into the gallery while I was doing my class in Zurich. I said, I dare you to ask like, what the price is. And they asked, and there's like sheer panic on the face of the person. I mean, this is just fucking bullshit. I'm sure, you know, it's a it, it's a misconception to think that there's anything remotely resembling transparency. 90% of the wallets and the people on Twitter are anonymous using screen names, and you could always mask your activity through layering wallets. I like the notion of just starting over and 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 widening the i mean i went to the outside art fair in new york city it's become a huge thing outside of art and roberta smith one of the greatest writers of all time in contemporary art she's been espousing and embracing outside of art for decades and you know why do you need these stupid categorizations and you know false compartmentalizations about different modalities of doing stuff just people should do what the fuck they want not be judged for it. I mean, I totally agree. I think that like um, the wisdom of like, if you don't know history, it, it uh, it's bound to repeat itself. I think if you know history, it's bound to repeat itself. I think that's that, <laughs> I think that um, that's like historical determinism, that what you know about is hard to forget. And I think you, famous artists have always been quoted in saying, oh, I had to learn how to paint like a kid again. It's like, well, let's never teach someone how to paint when they don't have that problem. Now, of course, like everything needs to be like within a gradation. Like I, I do think in some cases it's great if crypto artists learn about more of the traditional art world, but it's dangerous to learn too much if you want to do something new. So I'm refreshed by crypto artists and i think it's the only way that there could be a real amount of progress in a short amount of time is like going into the unknown that's how you can really invent something um so I, it is annoying sometimes but then i have to remind myself that it's only because it hurts my pride all the things that i work to know about certain things that someone can just blow right past well, you know, exponential change invites us to expo exponentially change ourselves um, and kind of question everything that came before and, and all the foundations and grounding uh, that we had. I'm going to ask one last question and then we got to send it home. Um, and it's something we haven't touched on. It's the idea of the metaverse. It's the idea that we as humans are kind of on this transhuman narrative into digital spaces that will be populated in digital ways, surreal ways, or we'll just go throw more white cube galleries in the metaverse and call it art again. Um, so I'm just curious, uh, kind of in this infinite possibility digital space, uh, what are the artistic worlds that you would like to see, that you would like to explore um, and help shepherd people into? The thing is like, well, first of all, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Surprise, surprise. But um, like artificial intelligence, there's nothing artificial about it. There's, it all comes from people programming computers to replicate or, you know, assimilate modes of information and knowledge. So um, for me, if you were going, if I'm going to make, put my prediction 
had on and prognosticate. I think like this conversation we're having now is is like this is like the Model T Ford. It's ridiculous that we're not in the meta in a metaverse space. Uh, having this conversation, you while well, I drop my phone and knock over my sculpture and my hard disk just went flying. But this is my space. So why shouldn't we all be like coexisting in out? Let me put all my shit back on my desk. Why shouldn't we all be existing in a three-dimensional space? So my view of the future is that Zoom or the lights, whatever, you know, they're so antiquated. There should be a way that we can all interact. Our own individual spaces would overlap in these coinciding spheres of being. It's just, it just, it's just another extension of tools that we can create to communicate to each other, to interact with each other, to express ourselves, to create. So, I mean, I, I, I have a love-hate relationship with the metaverse. I've done two projects on space metaverse. My exhibition in both Berlin and the show I curated called Unsafe at Any Speed are both mirrored in a metaverse space on space. And then for Basel, I think I pretty much, with the, with the assistance of Saha Hadid architectural practice, we collaborated to create a space that existed in a short-lived version with the help of a company called Journey from Germany. And they translated the Zaha Hadid metaverse space for Basel, Miami. And you just needed the URL and you were in this incredible space. And for me, the key to that project was one thing, which is ease of use. I'm so uncoordinated. And every time I go to a metaverse, I end up inappropriately dressed if you have to dress yourself. And then I end up walking into walls. I can never climb up the stairs. Or So I think the first hurdle we have to get over is these things have to become easy, the interface, second nature. They, and then like there, any digital experience between more than one person should be in a metaverse space. And a company with the name of that notion, I pray to the Lord, if there is a Lord, that company will have no part of it because they are their intentions are repulsive and just the worst denominator of what should attract people into this, in, into the metaverse. Um, so I think that in the, in the, in the year, I mean, technology, a, a year in technology, I always say is dog years. It's 15 years of, of real life is compressed into one technology year of advancement. And the other thing is that, you know, instead of just in my exhibition now, we have a square, um, dedicated display device by Lago and it connects to your wallet so you can have it sitting in your room and showcase your NFTs. But again, like I would hope in a few years, we'll be able to project into real time three-dimensional um, representations of our NFTs and our digital art. I've already seen, I mean, Tupac Shakur went on tour, still dead as far as I am aware. And I think like holographic projections will be an incredible leap, which should happen any minute. I've already seen an exhibition. I mean, Alex Israel, an artist, did a projection of himself in a gallery. And you could tell that he's an old world traditional artist because I simply asked him for the name of the company he used and he wouldn't tell me. <laughs> That's definitely not a way crypto people would behave. I'm really hopeful that 
You know, look, you ask any art collector in the world that has a Freeport or a storage, ask them when the last time is they looked at their art in storage and they'll say never. never. And I'm frequently looking at my art in my wallet for one point just to make sure it's still there and I haven't been hacked. But, <laughs> but you know, there's going to be a lot of crazy, wonderful, extraordinary things happening within 12 months. I think... You're absolutely right. It's a very awkward experience to walk around Metaverse. I think one of the first times I had a meeting in Metaverse, I fell into a ball pit and I couldn't <laughs> get out. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> that sounds like a commercial. I'm in a ball pit and I can't, I'm in the Metaverse and I can't get up the stairs. <laughs> so as soon as it becomes more intuitive to navigate those spaces, I hope that the spaces stop looking exactly like real life because that helps us like, feel comfortable and acclimate, but it's by no means necessary that I have a coffee mug uh, as a prop in the metaverse because I can't drink it. So this this whole thing is silly. And so, yes, Kenny, in a year, I hope we're in a new place and it's becomes more imaginative where physics are not what are confining, you know, our designs because we don't need gravity in the metaverse. I will leave it first, Kenny. Any last words? Let people know where to find you uh, and how they can connect if they want to. Thank you so very much for including me and for speaking to me. And it's so fascinating to speak to you both and to learn from you like I just did today. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, thank you. This is fun. I've been enjoying this. Colburn, thanks for even kicking off this NFT Sunday. And you can find me at the Minty. Uh, Minty.com, and yeah. <laughs> uh, I am Colborn Bell, Museum of Crypto Art. Big thank you to Deminty for putting this together. We got artist, writer, teacher, curator, Kenny Schachter. We have artist liaison at uh, Deminty, Beth Fiore. Thank you all so much. We'll see you next time. Breaking news. <laughs>